And welcome to the Two Solitudes Podcast. I am Dwayne Rollins here in Toronto. Kevin Lermay joins me as always in Montreal. Montreal will soon be the host of the CCL. Are you getting excited, Kevin? I wish I was in Mexico with the guys getting ready for that game because let me tell you, it's a lot nicer in Mexico. A lot of things are a lot nicer in Mexico. Yeah, it should be should be nice and warm down there, nice and toasty down there. It's not that here. Uh, we won't bore you with the weather uh, forecast here today uh, because if you're listening to the Two Saltoots podcast, you're, you're more than likely Canadian, although we have a lot of American listeners and we do appreciate that. But even you guys are frozen down there, so uh, we all know what the weather is. Um, Kevin, today's show, we got Duncan Fletcher from the Vocal Minority podcast and vocalminority.ca. It's tough to say, Vocal Minority and Vocal Minority. Anyway, uh, he, he joins us. We had a nice little chat about TFC, about the rest of the league, about the CBA. Uh, maybe we talked about Toronto's mascot. God, mascot. Anyway. Is it going to be Shwemi's husband? Oh, it can be anything it wants. I might throw a beer at its head is what's going to happen the first time I see it. So you didn't hear that, TFC security. You did not hear that properly. We don't want a mascot up here. I wrote an article on CSN explaining why we're so adamant against that. Duncan doesn't hold much uh, hope that we won't get one. Uh, that wasn't the focus of the interview, for the record, folks, but uh, we did. I did ask him about that. It should have been, though. It should have yeah. been. It should have been. We'll do Mascot Gate. Breaking news, we'll do like five live podcasts. What do you think, Kevin? Sure. Vancouver needs a mascot, too. No, they have one. Oh, it's, they have it's one? A, it's terrible. It's a, it's a woodpecker. <laughs> what? Yeah, no, it's a woodpecker. Why, why would you have a woodpecker? I don't know. It's Vancouver. Don't ask questions. <laughs> hey, right. It's better than us. We have two, and what is called tactic. It's, it doesn't fit with Montreal at all. What's the last time you see Montreal tactically efficient? Well, I thought your mascot was called Tic Tac. Honestly. There's two. There's two. Yeah, because that's – we all know the chant, and that's how it started back in the day because this mascot named Tic Tac was going around, and somebody in the TFC crowd who had a few more – a few bears in them and wanted to be, you know, bilingual, uh, created the famous Tic Tac <laughs> that you hear booming around. That's literally how it started because they, they were yelling at the mascot. So there you go. Maybe there is a use for the mascot. Oh, anyway. All right. Uh, Duncan's going to talk about that. We're also in the middle segment today. We're going to have a little talk about the CSA, kind of the state of the CSA. We're going to talk about uh, Sepp Blatter and the FIFA elections and whether the U.S. supporting uh, a non-Blatter candidate is going to benefit the CSA for the 2026 World Cup bid. I'm going to talk a bit about the PDL issue here in Toronto, maybe a little League One Ontario and maybe a little update on BC League One possibilities. Some conversations like that that talk about general CSA issues in our middle segment. Uh, kind of a free-flowing conversation there. And then we're going to end it with um, – we're going to hyper-focus in on the Impact CCL. I'm going to talk to Kevin about uh, his thoughts ahead of uh, the Impact CCL battle in Mexico that uh, that's all very exciting and happening way sooner than we think. Uh, a week away now? February 24th, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, live from Estadio Hidalgo is the first leg of the CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinal between Montreal and Pachuca. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we will talk about that in our final segment. But before we get to all of that, let's bring Duncan on now and then have a chat about many things TFC and MLS. Aye, aye, aye. And welcome back to the Two Solitudes podcast. I almost said two rings. I do that all the time, but at any rate, uh, Duncan Fletcher from the Vocal Minority podcast and the vocalminority.ca joins us. Duncan, thanks for taking some time. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me back. 
All right. Uh, in the spirit of your podcast, Duncan, we're going to start out with the, this question. TFC's offseason has been blank. <laughs> um, I will go with interesting. It's uh, chaotic a bit as well is an option. Um, you know, it's, I'm definitely looking forward to preseason starting. We can actually sort of move on to be talking about uh, the games and all that sort of thing. Um, rather than you know just focusing on the the drama or the you know all the extra superfluous little bits and things that uh, have taken up like the last few weeks after the the trading died down, but um, you know I think generally it's been good. But you know there's a few gambles out there. You got to see how it works out. But you know, generally I think it's been a good off season. So it's positive, Duncan. Still that we're we're getting here then in this conversation. I take it. Um, yes, uh, <laughs> there's, there's definitely some question marks, uh, around, you know, a few things, there's you know, some things that they're obviously gambling on, you know, there's whether the injuries or people coming over from Europe will adapt properly, there's things where it could go wrong, but I think, you know, generally it's been okay, uh, then, you know, there's, there's these certain things that TFC have done that, uh, I don't particularly like, but, uh, you know, you've got to move on past those and try and look at the uh, the positive side of things, if, if only for my own sanity. Okay, well, well sorry, so let me jump in. One, one final TFC question, just uh, Duncan, Gilberto, that, I guess that's the one question that a lot of people will have, one concern a lot of people will have. Do you, do you think that they handled that the right way, or, or how would you have liked them like to see them handle the Gilberto situation? Uh, well, I think once it became clear that this Gilberto situation was a situation. I think they, you know, handled it well. I'm I'm glad to see him not within MLS because I think you know he could have done like very very well in MLS uh, this year, in his second year there, and I think that could have been another one of those things where you, know, you just look at it and it's just a constant reminder of ah yeah that's what we gave up and. Um, so you know him going to Brazil, uh, you know is. That's a good ending, and you know it's obviously a year loan, so I guess we'll have to kind of go through all this again next year to get a more permanent decision. I'm in no way expecting him back at TFC, but uh, yeah, I mean, and part of me is definitely a bit sad that we didn't stick with the uh, the Gilberto experiment. Uh, really, it's just you know once again, the, ooh, you know shinier, newer, more well-known toy elsewhere that they have to chase. So uh, you know, it seems like they. Uh, a brief experiment of trying to bring in like young up and coming South American players. Uh, yeah, we've you know, finally put that one to bed and let's go back to you know, bringing in the some big established names on giant salaries. Uh, I'm not entirely keen on that direction, but it is what it is. And after they decided to do that, I think you know, what they ended up doing with Gilberto was probably the best for all concerned, really. If you're looking at a year ago, almost to the day, TFC had a lot of expectation, had a bloody big expectation going into a season of new beginnings. A year later, seems that a lot of things have changed, but it's almost the same story. What are the expectations that uh, you have, Duncan, or uh, the people in the supporters' grassroots have going into the 2015 campaign? Um, I think they have raised expectations up again. Um, you know, I think, especially with you know, the six teams making the playoffs from the East and you know, two uh, two expansion teams 
you know, you just, the amount of money they've put into it, it's just one of those things where, you know, surely they, they've got to make it this time. Um, you know, you say, obviously, you know, things did go wrong last year. We didn't meet those expectations. And, you know, there is potential for that again. You know, I think that obviously uh, there's, they, they've built a, a core of like six kind of very important players. And with uh, like the three DPs, Caldwell, uh, Pekis, and Sheru. And, you know, there's definitely, you know, areas where you can look at it and think, hmm, that could go wrong. So I think we are going to be you know, relying on the, the depth of the team uh, again, and I'm not entirely sure that that's there. So there's ways that it could go wrong. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, when you're talking expectations, you know, it's just the amount of money that's put in. It's I think you know, they are definitely, you know, playoffs and absolute minimum. It's one of those things, you know, there's no real excuses there for them not to make the playoffs. It's, you know, things could go wrong. If they do, then, you know, there's got to be firings start again at some way. If you, you mentioned the two expansion teams that will be playing in the Eastern Conference next season, well, this season, uh, do you think it's going to be an easier task for the Eastern team to make it to the playoff? Or maybe we're just uh, telling stories to ourselves because those expansion teams have a lot of uh, means and budget behind them. What are your uh, feelings towards that? Um, yeah, I mean, that's you know, a valid point. I mean, you know, you can say they're expansion teams, but I mean, just looking at the way they are, I mean, I think they're both more like, similar to, to Seattle when they started as opposed to, you know, say TFC or like, Philadelphia, Montreal, whoever, who have, a lot of them have struggled. Was, you know, it's like in Seattle at the time, you know, they bought in Freddie Lindbergh, they really went for it. And you, know, you get that feeling from these, like both these franchises as well. It's like, oh, yeah, they're both, uh, you know, going to be serious contenders, you know, probably not for the MLS Cup or anything, but uh, yeah, I think both would definitely be in the conversation for the uh, like top six to get into the playoffs. Um, you know, I think that New York, uh, especially, uh, you know, there's a few good players, it's not just you know, David Villar and eventually Frank Lampard, they do have you know, a lot of good players in there as well, and we've obviously got the Jason Christ, uh, Salt Lake, uh, you know, Real Salt Lake influence you know, is there, so you know, I, you know, I definitely see them as more of a threat than, say, like New York Red Bulls, <laughs> and you know, Orlando as well. You know, you can look at uh, sort of what they've done, and uh, you know, they've just in preseason you know, results don't really matter that much. But it seems like, oh, you know, Orlando, they're, they're doing okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I would expect them to be, you know, probably somewhere you know, for, between, like, those. Last few places, like from said third to sixth, I expect those two teams to be very much in the uh, in the mix for that. Uh, Duncan, the other day uh, I, I was in a moment of almost financial irresponsibility, which uh, frames my life in a lot of ways. I had the credit card pulled out. I had I had the the flight, uh, the, you know, travelocity pulled up on my screen, and I was about to book a flight to Vancouver, and then it. I remembered. I remembered that there might not be a game in Vancouver that weekend. That it wasn't a hundred percent, and that ultimately, uh, not you know, financial responsibility, ultimately was why I decided to put the credit card back into my wallet. Was that a wise decision? Um, probably. Um, I mean, you know, there hasn't been a massive amount of talk uh, about like the the CBA and the the potential for a strike. Really, I mean, you compare it to. You know, it says like when the NHL, like before the last time they went on strike, or, you know, they, 
you know, any of the, the major sports there, it's often quite a big thing and it's just always seem to be, still seems to be very much in the background. But I mean, we're like, what, like two, three weeks away from the start of the season now and you know, there's still like, nothing really there. I mean, so the players, you know, a lot of them are coming out now and you know, they're bringing up the possibility that you know, there may be a work stoppage. You know, like free agency seems to be uh, a big thing they're going after. Um, you know, I'd like to think they wouldn't, but you know, I do think the league is now healthy enough where you know they could withstand you know uh, a short-ish like stoppage. You know, if they, if we miss a few weeks, you know, it's not going to be something that is really going to kill the league off. Whereas you know previously in the past, you know the uh, owners or whoever may well have been able to argue, yeah, there's no way we can do this. We absolutely can't miss this at all. Um, so, you know, I think obviously the league being in a healthier position, uh, you know, the, there is more of a chance of it actually happening. I, uh, yeah, I put it about to 50-50 that the season does actually start on time at this stage. And uh, it's very intriguing. I'm interested to see how it goes. And it's one that's not really getting that much uh, publicity as of yet. Yeah, it's funny how close the season really is. The other day, I, I was corresponding with someone via text message, and we were making plans for what uh, what we're going to do for the opener to watch it. It's that close; it really is. Seems a little crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm planning to do instead of going to Vancouver, I was seriously actually considering it for about 20 minutes of, of stupidity in my own head. But uh, uh, I'm decided instead that I'm going to grab a, a bus and go to Montreal and watch the second leg of the CCL because I'm a bit of a martyr that way. Uh, what are your thoughts on Montreal's chances in that CCL? I kind of think they're hopeless, and, and that's part of the reason maybe I'm going, is to watch a bit of the train wreck, but uh, uh, do, you, do you give them much of a chance in the CCL, Duncan? Um, no. I mean, I, I do think, you know, it's like we've seen you know plenty of times where teams playing against the Mexican teams. You know, there's a good chance that they could get uh, a result in uh, in Montreal, uh, it's the, the the Mexican side of it. It's like, yeah, no, I think eventually when it comes down to it, when the Mexican team really takes it seriously because they know they have to, um, yeah, I think it probably is going to be the, the same old story. Um, I do you know, quite like some of the moves that Montreal have made this year. Like some of the uh, the signings they brought in, the uh, that Belgian guy in defence, it's Simon. You know, yeah, uh, Donadell, and obviously they've still got Piatti in midfield. I think Montreal should do a lot better than they did last year in MLS. But um, yeah, I don't see them. Uh, I don't see them advancing in the CCL. Uh, most important question of all to end the uh, the interview, Duncan. Uh, TFC's mascot. What will it be? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, inevitable. Is one thing that it will be <laughs> at some point. It's coming. Um, I would guess that it's going to be some kind of giant like, hawk kind of monstrosity. Look at what they did with the logo for the academy team. They seem to be, you know, really sort of going down on that hawk thing as part of the uh, the identity. So, uh, I, yeah, I'm sure, I'm still cheering for Surly. You remember the the old Simpsons character Surly? The, <laughs> Fit right into the crowd. That, well, that would be entertaining. I mean, you know, given obviously how things have gone with like TFC spending, let's just have it be a, a, a giant check, a, man, <laughs> you know, a giant check costume. It a, can be Dero within feet. it, and then Dero can chase it around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dero yeah. chasing the wallet around his team. <laughs> oh dear God! All right, that, that that would actually be entertaining. Yeah. 
All right, okay. Dun- Duncan, tell, <laughs> tell us. With this. Tell us, Duncan, how we can read your work, and then we'll we'll say goodbye. <laughs> Um, yes, I'm on uh, Twitter at, uh, at Duncan D. Fletcher, and I'm uh, writing and podcasting uh, these days at uh, vocalminority.ca. I can always uh, find my stuff uh, there. All right. Duncan Fletcher, we'll talk soon. Uh, thanks for taking some time for us today. All right. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Duncan. told this guy where I was from. He said, oh, Canada. Kind of laughs it off. And thanks again to Duncan for joining us. Um, what do you think the TFC mascot should be, Kevin? Uh, a target called a Playoff. Tar- a target called Playoff. Like maybe, well, we got all those. Uh, <laughs> you got all tar- those empty targets. You can, uh, there's a lot of signs. Just someone walking around with the, uh, like a broken target sign. <laughs> And like a broken target sign, it's it was broken, like TFC. <laughs> that works. I, I like Surly. I, I like like the drunken, like alcoholic, uh, narcotics-ridden uh, supporter is what I would put out there. Is kind of just a broken man, kind of just a guy just crying, weeping maybe in the corner. <laughs> yeah, I, I would that have is. Ants Mormon with his paddle saying, "You're trying to score. That's a battling." Yeah, there you go, Daddy. Why is the mascot crying? Because that's what TFC is, son. <laughs> Despair. Despair the mascot. <laughs> that's a good name, actually. Despair. Despair. Can the entire community the corporate sponsor? Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Um, I wanted to have a CSA, state of the CSA kind of talk. And we'll start with the Sepp Blatter election. It came out last week, and we talked a bit about this on our Five Rings podcast about Sepp Blatter and, and the elections and the USSF backing um, uh, Prince Ali, uh, Al-Hussein. Um, Prince Ali is what we're going with, though. It's easier to say. At any rate, uh, they're backing Prince Ali, who's uh, from Jordan and uh, is part of the Asian Federation. But it's generally perceived, for those that don't know, and I think most people listening to this do know, but real quickly, we'll, we'll touch on it, that um, although he is primarily uh, Prince Ali, that said, primarily the, the biggest competitor to the possibility of Sepp Blatter getting another uh, term as FIFA president. Uh, it's unlikely that he's going to win. Uh, Sepp Blatter, Blatter has the support of most of the smaller confederations in the world. Uh, the way that the election is going to work, it's just it doesn't seem likely that anyone other than Blatter is going to win. And Blatter is a very spiteful man that uh, is unlikely to, uh, to forget who the uh, six nominating countries were to uh, go against him. And uh, if the USSF, as reported, is indeed one of those six countries and they are, in fact, thinking about bidding for the 2026 World Cup, then what does that mean? Uh, Grant Wall of Sports Illustrated wrote an article which essentially said that by not backing Sepp Blatter, uh, the U.S. is is rolling the dice and hoping that by the time the the election for the 2026 bid happens, that Blatter is long gone. Uh, because if he's not gone, they they might as well just pack it in and not bid because there's just no chance, in his opinion, in most people's opinion, that they would win. Uh, Kevin, we all know who is bidding for 2026. So, oh. yeah, as much as certain American bloggers like to dismiss this bid, and I'm talking about an idiot on Big, big Soccer for those that don't know um, – and I'm not saying his name because he's an idiot, but at any rate, uh, I'm getting real personal and old when I'm talking about this, so I'll drop it now. <laughs> uh, I Canada's got to be the front runner. I know it's early days, but do, am I delusional to say that? 
No, you're not delusional, Dwayne. And I, it's still, first of all, I just want to start off with this. It's still uh, raise a red flag for me. We're already getting prepared for a backlash of an election that hasn't happened yet that we know is going to win. It's still shady to me. It's still weird. It should, we shouldn't be thinking that way. We shouldn't be thinking that if we elect, if we our support is behind somebody else and they don't get elected, we're going to get backlash because of it. It's not the way things are supposed to work, but we all know that the way they are supposed to work and the way they are working are two totally different things, especially in FIFA. But that being said, yeah, Canada is the front runner for 2026 because we've, compared to a lot of different countries, even the United States in 1994, we've exa- actually... You know the checklist that you need to, to fill up before you actually need to get the World Cup? All those checklists have been checked out. 2007, 2014, 2015, Women's World Cup, under, under 20, under 17. So we're there. The only one left is the big one. And I think we might have a shot, but it's it's sad because it's always going to have a little asterisk beside it because, oh, the U.S. either or didn't bid for them or the U.S. had backlash. So that's why Canada had it. I just hope it doesn't come to that point. Yeah, look, I've been up front since the beginning, and I had a lot of arguments with American friends about this, about my perception and why Canada is silly. I, and I get it from an, from an outside perspective. It's like, Canada, come on. you got to be kidding. That's got to be hilarious. But then you're not using your head when you do that kind of evaluation. You're not thinking about it in a truly – you're not evaluating. You're just snarking in that case. Yes, Canada sucks at the game right now on the men's side. There is no doubt. We're ranked, what, 2028th or something in the world? I don't know. It doesn't matter. We're not very good. That's the point. Uh, yes, Canada is pissing off all of the Woso soccer fans in the world by hosting the Women's World Cup on turf. Hint, people. They're hosting the, world, the Women's World Cup on turf with the backing of FIFA, and the USSF didn't say a damn word about it when that bid take, took place. So stop creating moralistic standards that aren't uh, being universally applied when you're talking about turf and, and the CSA. And, and as I've said many times before, I, I do actually believe, as many have pointed out before, that they're using it as a test a test model to see whether it's possible to run a World Cup on turf. And I don't actually think for a second, unlike other people, that the men won't one day play a World Cup on turf because that is the way that the game is moving at any rate. Well, just to, to put it in terms that people can understand, with global warming and changing weather, 200 years from now, there might not even be grass existing on this planet so you want to have a choice by playing on pitch anyways and i agree that the turf right now i don't like the fact that god we're in a turf conversation again i don't like the fact (laughs) that that the world that 15 is happening at turf because the technology has not yet caught up but if you add another 11 years to the technology i have pretty strong faith that that it's going to be much different it's going to be more of a hybrid technology you're going to be able to slide on it a little easier that's really the only difference right now because we've talked about many many times that the that there is absolutely it's it's the injury stuff is just it's confirmation bias at work it's not provable there is no increased ev- uh, evidence of uh, injury on any 3g generation turf study that's out there but what any of us who played on it and i play in goal when I play on it so I I do slide quite a bit uh, because I instinctively go with my feet instead of my arms because I'm not a natural keeper I'm a I'm a learned keeper so I I tend to tend goal like a hockey goalie would but at any rate uh, so yeah I've had turf burns quite consistently when I play outside in the summer because I usually play on turf like most Canadians do and and I they hurt I get it but 
we're talking about a skin burn here, folks. It's not like the biggest deal in the world. And if, you, if you've played on a crap field, a crap grass field, you're going to have that too. Anyway, we've gone way offside here now. I wanted to talk to the CSA on bloody turf. <laughs> Might as well run the bumper now. At any rate. No, that bumper's done. It's buried. All right. You can never find it again. It'll, we'll run it as a, as a, as a, just a random bumper sometime next year and just people will go into PTSD. <laughs> No, but you're right. Go, go back to the CSA a little bit. Uh, yes, Canada's going to be the front runner, but again, I just hope that because of the dealings of the FIFA and the Bladder and Prince Ali, I just hope that Canada doesn't become the scapegoat and get the uh, the World Cup because we don't want any controversy. I want Canada to get the World Cup because they deserve to get the World Cup, not because we're the safe bet. Yeah, a bit. I mean. I think that the safe bet is part of their plan, though. Uh, you yeah. look at the – and moving it slightly a little bit, like the safe as in safe to walk the streets and, and safe to understand that it's going to run smoothly because I don't think – and even the biggest snarker out there possible will acknowledge that the nation of Canada tends to run events, run events that are fairly smooth, that are going to, to do what they're supposed to do. We may, you know, do things – uh, less dramatically than maybe China might or something, but we're going to still run a, an event that works, right? Like we're not a third world nation here, so the money's going to be there and it's going to work. Um, the other part of it, though, if you look at uh, an interesting little development last year is they very quietly, FIFA announced that the TV rights uh, for the World Cup in 2026 were awarded uh, to the same nations that had the 2022 rights. And this was interesting in the sense that they just extended the 2022 rights. This has people speculating, although it has not yet been announced, that behind closed doors, they have already decided that 2022, the Qatar, and it's Qatar people. I, I hear this other pronunciation. I don't understand. Qatar? Qatar. It's a Qatar. Anyway, um, Quinter or whatever. It's some Americans say it this weird-ass way. It's Qatar. Ah, anyhow, I'm, I'm way off topic today. Um yeah, they, they 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 they've extended to the to it's going to be a winter event. That's basically. I mean, logic dictates that it should be. Um, logic dictates that it shouldn't be there. We all get that. But now that it is going to be there, and they're not going to pull it from the Middle East because they're just not going to do that. People, you have to play it where it's safe for the players. And the only time to do that is during well, be the late fall, really December first, probably to January first. Is I suspect what the date will be because that will have the least impact on the European season. Anyway, the reason that the speculation they're tying that into the TV deal extension is because this is kind of a nod to the fact that this isn't what they bought. They, they bought a summer event, uh, especially in bigger parts like in the United States, uh, Canada even. Uh, a summer World Cup is what we perceive and if you're doing it when it's winter, when it's cold outside, uh, when people can't sit on patios, then it's not going to get the same kind of numbers. And that is disappointing when you think about it because one of my favorite associations with the World Cup is sitting on patios in Toronto and drinking a beer and watching the games. That's my whole experience of my whole life watching the World Cup. It's one of the reasons why I love this sport as much as I do because of my experience watching the World Cup in this city, which is an international city where you can go and be a different nationality under a different flag every day of the, of the summer and have no liver at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> no liver, no thoughts, no, and headache, usually. Yeah, that's the World Cup in Toronto in a nutshell, and, and we're going to lose a bit of that if it's in December, there's no doubt. So this is kind of an olive branch for that. So if that is the case, and you're having a World Cup, which has been a bloody mess from you know corruption allegations, from you know bad labor things, it's, it's happening in December, they're going to go, you know what, boring old Canada seems to look 
just fine right now. And I think that that's another added benefit uh, to the Canadian bid. If you take the U.S. off the table, I just don't know who beats them in that bid. A European, I guess, would be the only one you'd think of is maybe Europe will make the argument, as they've done in the past, that they deserve it every other year because Europe, when it comes to this sport, is a bit selfish that way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It is, it is going to be a – if that's the case, it is selfish. But yeah, there's a lot of powerhouse in Europe, but it doesn't have to, to be the case that you skip the other continent. The rotation thing kind of get all mixed up anyways with uh, the Russia and Qatar World Cup. So I think you're right. If we're looking at it objectively, Canada does have a good, very good bid uh, probably in 2026. Yeah, the only way, the in my mind, the only way that the World Cup in 26 isn't taking place in CONCACAF is if FIFA somehow turns around and makes the argument that Knoble is part of CONCACAF, like that the Americas are a region, and then they would argue that this past World Cup in Brazil was part of the Americans region, and that is how they rotate. Because there's no other justifiable reason to keep them out of CONCACAF. It is by far the longest uh, drought without a World Cup host is, is CONCACAF right now. 94. Yeah, 86, uh, 94. I was going to say 86, but I forgot the U.S. 94. Yeah. 86 and 94 are the last two that have been had. There hasn't been one since. And you know, if you're looking at that rotation, the only place you can go, as we've said many times before, in, in CONCACAF that hasn't hosted is is here. Um, the argument, if they're going to go with the Americas 1-2, then we're screwed because the next big South America bid is going to be tied into the Centennial uh, World Cup. There's already a lot of talk and there's a lot of desire and a lot of movement to have Uruguay host uh, the Centennial 100 years later, host it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, is something that I think there's a lot of support behind. So if we don't get 26, then I don't think it's coming up to CONCACAF any times before the 40s. And I'm not prepared to wager that I'll be around then. <laughs> so Depends on how your liver's feeling. Yeah, the, you know, I might be, but it's we're getting in the precarious times when we're getting into the 40s. So um, I'm not going to put too much money down on my, on my mortality at that point. But um, – Alas, stop talking about my death and move on. I, I, and there's probably people out there going, "Are you sure you're gonna make 26, Dwayne?" I, I, I've met you. At any rate, I think I'll make 26. You just knocked on wood. Yeah. Segwaying from nothing, let's go to the PDL. And I, I talked a lot about this on the website. And, uh, you know, the story is now done the TFC PDL battle. And it has to do with, you know, their perception that League One Ontario isn't up to the, to the standards that, uh, that they need it to be yet for, for their development reasons. The CSA, uh, although I've had conflicting talk about this since that, uh, since I wrote the story, that the CSA is um, uh, forcing that the, trying to prevent future teams from being sanctioned at level if there's a, a domestic option available. Uh, this has been covered a lot. We've talked about it a lot. There's no need to go back too far on it. But uh, I do find it interesting. They did give the one-year extension. And uh, I, I do think some of the stuff behind the scenes is of interest uh, to people. Namely, what I've been told is that there is a huge leadership uh, battle brewing Um at the Ontario level, particularly over this issue. This is the issue that boiled over the top. It was always there, uh, essentially between progressives and uh, old the old school again, uh, where a lot of people on the old side of the debate uh, are were fighting for the PDL to get uh, ex- extension, to get the sanctioning part of me 
Uh, they felt they agreed with TFC's perspective that the League One Ontario wasn't wasn't quite up to the standards yet. Uh, they looked at stuff like TFC's academy played uh, Kitchener Waterloo United, the PDL team, and lost quite handily in a friendly last summer, even though they won the League One uh, championship uh, going away. So they used that as as proof that the, that it needs to be better. And rather than trying to build something here locally, and you can tell where my bias is. Uh, they, <laughs> They just oh well we just we'll just keep in the U.S. system. So there's that side of the debate. But uh, I've heard uh, that that there are rumblings that there's going to be a grab for more power within the next uh, OSA board of directors uh, elections for more progressive voices to get in there, and there might even be someone take a run um, at the top spot to try and uh, get those progressive ideas through. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, on Ontario, which is, of course, the biggest province here and has a lot of clout within the, the soccer system, so it's relevant to the whole nation, uh, that you may see a big uh, power play at, at, at happen. And that would be very interesting if that is the case. Yeah. Um, on a more pleasant note, uh, you know, I did actually talk about this briefly before, but I think there has been, I've been told that there has been a lot of movement on the BC front in order to get something started there. Uh, BCL1, I guess we'll call it for now until yeah, we hear a different... Remember last week when the League One press conference, there was some BC representative there and those same BC representative have visited PLSQ as a League One to get inspired to create their own D3 semi-pro league in BC. Yeah, and we belabored this, why we think this is needed, uh, and, and why, you look, I'm not going to look at a friendly, obviously, you know, TFC Academy lost 4-1, for the record, in that friendly against KW United. Uh, we'll find out uh, whether that's the, whether the case is that they're miles behind. I would suspect that if I looked at the lineup of TFC Academy that day, and I didn't see that game, uh, that it might not have been its strongest lineup. So, we're, you can't look at a single and out friendly to prove anything, but certainly it doesn't doesn't prove that they were that League One Ontario was strong either. So I'll, I'll acknowledge that. Um, it's an issue that uh, you know that we're going to follow the BC L one, uh, which is again what I'm going to call it until I hear otherwise. Uh, closely, it absolutely needs to happen. I, I think that uh, you know I was looking for Vancouver news uh, prior to this podcast and the only thing that came up was that they played their friendly the Whitecaps in, in Victoria in the past they played the Highlanders in that game so I found it a little sad that they had to play the University of Victoria this time as much as I like Bruce Wilson their coach um, former uh, guest of this show yeah, uh, yeah they, they it's sad that the Highlanders are gone and I think that a BCL1 would, uh, would, allow, would have allowed the Highlanders to continue on so uh, we hope that that, that continues um Kevin, uh, do you have any final thoughts before we um, when we move on to our final segment? Uh, no, it's just that it, even though we're belaboring and talking about talking about CSA and BC, the next ten years are still going to be pivotal for soccer in Canada, and the next ten years are probably going to bring the sport to a level that we haven't seen in this country before. That's hope. Uh, quickly, actually, is breaking news this morning. What's breaking? Breaking ish news ish. Um, Unattached FC may uh, may be looking for a new player, uh, Marcel Dion, uh, or Marcel Dion if you prefer. <laughs> oh, former Kings player. Yeah, former LA Kings player or Marcel Dion if you if you look at the soccer side of things is on trial with Sporting Kansas City. Uh, I think that he is talented enough to play for SKC. The question will be money, but it is a positive development to know that he is in their camp and they are taking a serious look at him. Uh, serious enough to the point where they they profile they they featured him they they pointed him out on their uh 
sort of roundup of training camp. So it's it's if they're going to go out of the way to talk about a trialist, you tend to think that they're looking very serious at him. So that's hope that uh, unattached FC is in need of another player, and let's hope that they don't find that other player. I also um, brief update on Will Johnson. I. Uh, Sounds like his recovery from his broken leg, which of course happened at BMO Field, as of course it would uh, last year, uh, is a little ahead of schedule. There is some talk that he may be ready, uh, if not for the very beginning of the MLS season, but uh, maybe soon after. So wow. that's some good, some good news there, and it looks like he may be, uh, may be back in the mix for the Gold Cup. So uh, Qu- let's Quickly, cross- uh, speaking of Natasha City, you were speaking, Dwayne. Carl W. we met, who was released by the Impact last week, well, put on waiver and then released. He's actually training with the Red Bulls right now, so another member of an attach of seek can find a club. Yeah, and it's interesting uh, when you look at stuff like with Matt and, and other guys like Bryce Alderson that, that you would have thought would have naturally fit in the USL Pro setup uh, for these teams, and you see a lot of fans talk about that. But what I've been told is that the reason these guys um, are moving on or being released is because they've they've asked the club to ask the club to release them. Uh, because they feel that the, they're beyond the USL Pro level. So it's not that the club, you know, I'm defending the clubs a little bit here, which is not really my MO usually, uh, that they're they're requesting that they not be sort of pinned down to the USL Pro level. And we saw it, uh, and I don't have the notes in front of me to know the, the kid's name, but there was another kid from the Vancouver Whitecaps, our residency, that uh, that left it recently because of the same thing, that he just he feels that he's above USL Pro. The club is saying, well, we'll play at USL Pro this year, and they're just not seeing a pathway to the senior team. So even though those USL Pro teams are there, Kevin, it's still not a perfect solution. Um, the MLS teams still need to do a little bit more to, to get them into the, the lineup. And I'm talking about all three, not just the one out west. No, and not just that. It's They want to start anew. They want to start fresh with those USL pro team. And you don't necessarily want to have an academy player that's been going through the system and been in your lingering close to the first team for two, three, four years to go in USL pro. And not to damage the mood, but to you want, you want it to start fresh with young players that can grow up together in the USL pro system. That's why it's built that way. So... I have to agree with the club in a certain way that for just on W's case, W did not ask to be cut. He was surprised by that. But just hopefully get a chance with uh, the Red Bulls New York. They do have a lot of people that would like him over there, so it's going to be interesting. But just to finish that, uh, USL Pro System with the new teams, I think they better off start anew just to uh, to make sure that the, con- the building of that core group, the future group of the first team, who knows, can get that playing time together for three, four, five years. Who knows? Well, with, with, with Matt... Uh it's probably good to have different coaches, different technical people looking at him. Um, probably the the Montreal staff at this point in time knows him so well that they almost know him too well. You know, yeah, you, you see those uh, those flaws come out it's more easily, more easy. Confirmation bias again yes. that they they've been dealing with him. So to have a fresh set of eyes on him is is a useful thing. Another positive, and we'll end it with this, is the fact that the Red Bulls are giving him a look suggests to me that the rumblings that there might be some kind of Canadian solution on the domestic roster spot front, whether that be outright domestics or whether that be a special Canadian designation, either or. I don't care as long as there's more Canadian spots available, might be uh, might be happening there because he's a type of player in the past that I don't necessarily think that another MLS and American. MLS team would have taken a serious look at, whereas whereas now they are, and that might be to do with the fact that there's some behind-the-scenes stuff going on in the CBA negotiations to do with Canadian spots being made available. It's true, because there's a, there is equivalent American players, same age, same talent. The, the equivalent does exist, being an American. So uh, being Canadian, you're right, it must be an indication of something going on. 
Let's hope. Cross the fingers there. All right, quick break. We'll come back. We're going to talk a bit of the Montreal Impact and their battle in Mexico. Pachuca. Pachuca. Tú eres con orgullo cuna del fútbol. Pachuca. Tu garrito coraje los coro. Welcome back. Um, we're going to talk about the CCL and, and the impact here. We're going to primarily focus in on that. There's not a ton of news that's happening in the early days of camps in either Vancouver or Toronto that's really worth focusing in on. I think we had Duncan on to talk a bit about Toronto. Uh, again, I looked for Vancouver news, but they're they're doing the stability thing out there, and that makes it very difficult for podcasters. Um, Montreal, however, uh, you know, does have the CCL game. They're in Mexico right now. Uh, they uh, lost to a bunch of uh, teenagers, did they not, recently, Kevin? Yes, they did. They played against the Cruzol uh, youth team. But apparently on Facebook, the Impact tried to uh, pull a quick one on people, saying they lost to the first team. But uh, no, it wasn't the first team. It was the Cruz Azul youth team. But uh, still, Cruz Azul is a hell of a program. One of the top four program in Mexico, So, uh, which is not the case with Pachuca. So th- there's always that. So Montreal has been in... Mexico for about 10 days now getting ready with the uh, uh, everything from temperature to altitude and everything to get ready for the game they have next week yeah and other than that I mean it's hard to follow them when they're down there and you can understand why they're doing this Uh, Montreal's in the odd uh, position of having the home advantage against the Mexican team because they finished so well in their group stage the way it works for those that don't know uh, although they address the CCL constantly but currently how it works is that they seed the team based on their group stage result and it's just basically one versus eight rather than a draw one versus eight two versus seven three versus six and um, four versus five so uh, Montreal has the home advantage there. They have the second leg in Montreal, which is a change up from usual in the past. Um, and, and I don't know whether it's a good one. I mean, in surface, it should be because you should be able to do handle things at home. But when you're talking about beating these Mexican teams, if, if we're going to talk that way, I would think that you I don't know. For me, I would be I would rather have the second leg in Mexico where you can try and build up, catch them by surprise, because generally the Mexican teams will bring a younger group up to, to Canada. Uh, we've seen it in the past. The results in Canada for the Canadian teams haven't against Mexican teams actually haven't been that bad. Montreal beat uh, Santos Laguna. Uh, TFC, even in their bad days, used to get results. Like they tied Pumas 1-1. They've tried Cruz Azul 0-0. They've tried... T- Luna's and well, he's got some results against Mexican teams over the years in competitive fixtures, uh, as have as Montreal. So it's not that bad up here. If you can get a result, you can get that two nil. Like the closest any teams come to beating the, the Canada team has come to beating the Mexican teams in a two leg tie. Is as much as the result looked terrible at the end is because they collapsed in the last ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Was when they built the two nil lead at home. Um, we're talking way back when in two thousand nine. Now, right? Eddie Sabrango days. Eddie Sabrango, the hero, the brace. In front of 55,000 people in the Big O. Yeah, a 2-0 game, which probably is to this day uh, you know, one of the top 10 most famous soccer games ever played um, involving a Canadian club team in Canada. I mean, I, it's got to be right up there, right, Kevin? Yeah, with that 6-0, too. Yeah, well, it's 6-1. There's lots of those sure. ones. I don't know if they're that famous. <laughs> I'm talking about against other teams. Um sure. 
You're right. it exa- yeah, it, it, that's the only way to do it. Now, if the, the problem is if you go down there and you have your ass handed to you. Like what does that mean for the home leg? And you're already struggling a little bit to sell tickets, although I wouldn't say 17. If you get 20,000 in there even, it's not a bad crowd. There's already 20,000 tickets uh, sold, so I think we're going we're gonna to get closer to 30,000, I think, though. The, the prediction I made last week on how it works for 35,000, I think it's going to be close to that. Yeah, and, and that's that's a decent crowd, although everyone's going to compare it to that 2009 game, but that's a different era, and they were selling tickets for a dollar back then, if memory serves. So that's, let's be frank here. At any rate, but if they win, let's, let's say, for the sake of argument, and this isn't that delusional, that the Mexican team hands you your ass down there. It's your first competitive game of the year. It's a Mexican team. I don't care how poorly or how much they're struggling in Mexico. They're still a Mexican team. Who's in the middle let's of say- their uh, spring season and the same time as going to play the Champions League? Yeah, that's that's say for the argument you lose by four goals. Does that affect the crowd in Montreal? It shouldn't. It will, but it shouldn't. Yeah, it's unfortunate. That's what I'm saying here. But at the same time, we shouldn't dismiss the idea that they have home advantage. So oh, yeah. I quick thought of Pachuca, Dwayne. Uh, Pachuca is right now is 13th out of 18th team in uh, their spring season in Mexico. After six game played, two wins, one draw, three losses. Six goals against, six goals for. A very ordinary beginning of the season for Pachuca. And uh, Montreal has a shot, I think, of getting a result at home for sure. Who knows what can happen on the road? So basically what you need to do, and do you think that they're going to bunker down and try and get out of there on a nil-nil? Do you think that's got to be the goal? They, no, they need, to, they need to score. They need In Canadian soccer history, in Impact, Toronto, and Vancouver soccer history, if you want to win those type of home and away series, you need to score away. You need to score a goal on the other side's pitch. It's the only way you're going to have a shot to beating those Mexican team on a home and away series win. That's true. And uh, you look, there hasn't been a lot of victories in these home and away series. The uh, the only Canadian team to get through is, of course, TFC and the, the famous. Uh, they were the worst team in the world, but they somehow were two wins, <laughs> two series wins away from the World Club Championship. But at any rate... Uh, <laughs> But they beat the LA Galaxy, so they beat an MLS team in that. So, uh, tough one there. But uh, what what kind of um, expectation do you have as an impact uh, follower, Kevin, that uh, that they'll get something from this? I didn't have any up to a couple of weeks ago when I started to look at Pachuca a little more closely. Uh, Pachuca is at the end of their run, we could say. is at the end of their string, uh, streak of good performances. They had a decent couple of years and with a great run in the Champions, sorry, Champions League so far. But right now, I think Montreal, because of the fact they had a very bad MLS season, they could concentrate on having a good CCL campaign. Right now, with the whole CBA thing, we don't know what's going to happen after March 3rd. So right now, the impact is 100% focused on those two games with a lot of players that are used to those environments, like the Piatti, Donadel. Those type of players are used to those hostile environments, either in South America or in Europe. So I think Piatti is going to have a lot to say of how the impact plays in Pachuca. Yeah, it's hard to handicap at this particular time. I mean, the impact, we haven't really seen the impact play in this offseason. We haven't think. seen the new impact at all. With the 11 changes of roster to happen in the last couple of months, we haven't seen the impact at all. So without having an opportunity to see them, and even if you do have an opportunity to see them, watching teams in friendlies is, is one of the most pointless exercises. It's it's nice because you've, you've missed them. It's like you see an old friend, but you're not going to evaluate what they're where they are in their life when you're having beers with them for the first time in five years. That's kind of <laughs> like watching a preseason game. I mean, you're, you're just watching them because you like watching the strips run around, and it makes you feel good about yourself. But uh, you, if you look at, like, you try and correlate 
uh, friendly results with like competitive results, it's, it never works out. Like there's no correlation there at all. I've, I've done the numbers before. They're not worth repeating. It's just friendlies are friendlies. They're about fitness. That is the biggest issue though. You, you know, as Jurgen Klinsmann will like to point out, uh, MLS has a longer off season than other leagues. So these teams are, or these players, I should say, are often a little further out of fitness than they would be in other leagues, which makes the idea of playing in their off season, which this is, even more difficult than it would be for any other team, which maybe only has a two month off season. So there's a lot of challenges, and I don't think anyone is going to. I don't think anyone's putting down the mortgage on the impact getting anything from this, but. Anything they do get is a bonus, and it's it's a nice way to start the year, uh, particularly having a home date that you know you're going to have because, you know, Toronto doesn't have one one to May, and uh, the Vancouver one, as I talked about with Duncan, may get canceled because of a lockout. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, so at least you guys know that you have uh, the opportunity to see the impact in person uh, very soon. So that that gives you something. Um, that's I, I was going to say hashtag fill the bowl, but uh, you don't like that hashtag. Hashtag fill the bowl. All right. Um, quickly, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, what you you mentioned that the the tickets are starting to go a little bit better. What's the excitement level? It's picking up. I'm not going to say that it's crazy like it was in 2009. No, it's not. It's picking up slowly. The impact marketing team started their big push, you could say, a week and a half ago, just two days after Joey made his big coming out saying that uh, there's no buzz in the city. A couple of days after the marketing team started their big push for the marketing. So you see some billboards, radio spots, TV spots, uh, social media, it's everywhere. Uh, Mark, Mark History, Marcon L'Histoire, that's what they're going for. Again, the only thing that's missing for the impact to 100% get that, it's that star appeal. Uh, Piatti didn't play enough last year to become a big star in his city. It's not like the value was, or there's no Beckham in, in uh, Pachuca to uh, draw people. So it's a little bit tougher ask to tell people to come to the game. It's a little bit tougher sell. But uh, slowly, we're going to get close to that 30, 35,000. But I still feel the buzz is not what it's supposed to be. But I think it's because of the season last year. Uh, uh, what's the expression? A burnt cat is going to be careful when he threads water? Well, that's what it seems like it's happening right now. I and mean, that might be a French expression. A burnt cat's yeah. going to be careful when he treads water. I like that. Anyway. Yeah, it is. It is a French expression. But yes, uh, it's, that's what it is. All right. Uh, I've heard that there are 30 people traveling. We uh, we hope that they travel safely. I hope 30 people comes back. If we know 30 <laughs> people are going, I hope the same 30 comes back for Pachuca. All right. We're working on a, an interview with the USL Pro president that uh, if we get that out, uh, we haven't got the timing set down on that yet. If that happens we'll, this week, uh, we'll, we'll probably come out with a, with a special edition. Otherwise, we'll talk to you next Monday. In the meantime, Kevin, I'll let you end as always. Have a great soccer, folks. Champions League. Go Chelsea.